1: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash achieve today.
2: This is Let's Do the Right Thing in association with Radio Works. Presented and curated by Adam Hopkinson.
1: This is the LDTRT podcast brought in conjunction with Passion Media and Radio Works. It was set up to tell the story of people going it their own way in the media industries. I myself set up a consultancy in 2018, from which I launched a media agency to fulfill the proposals that the consultancy made, and I had loads of great advice in doing so. It has, however, morphed over the last couple of years into the podcast podcast, as I've become more interested in what has changed for media and marketing professionals to address the changes in consumer behaviour. It's going to be really interesting talking today to Ruth Mortimer, something of a lifer at Centaur and the global president of Advertising Week. Welcome, Ruth.
0: Thank you. Very excited to be here.
1: Oh, I'm excited to be chatting with you today. Um, I'm going to start off with something a little left field, if that's okay. I mean, I did my undergraduate degree in pharmacology, and I did a postgrad course in neuropharmacology specific to Alzheimer's disease. I post-rationalise this now in Adland as switching from how and why people forget things into how and why people remember when looking back at my career. So I have to ask, what triggered the change from archaeology major to marketing journalism and then running what I think is the most important event in Adelan's calendar?
0: Well, I think a bit like you, where you've, I guess, transformed the story of pharmacology into how it helps you today. I, I see it really as I've always loved storytelling so the reason I was interested in archaeology was because it's all about piecing together a story and you're piecing it together from a physical record and often you don't have any written record, particularly in the area I was working in, which was prehistory um, and what's now called the Copper Age in the Middle East. So you don't really, you don't really have any physical um, record that matches with a written record, so you're making it up effectively it's storytelling and obviously you're going off you know what you know you're trying to work out what's happening but really to me it was the challenge of building those stories and trying to understand people so to me that I guess that's the big link which is lots about marketing and um, lots about content which is what I've spent my career doing is all about understanding people and creating a story and I think that was kind of actually a really good grounding in it
1: Wow. And I suppose then Ad- Ad- Advertising Week is a, a venue and a conference for people to tell stories and to engage and to promote ideas and creativity. I I, 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 I buy that.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And I think at Advertising Week, um, our tagline is great minds think unalike. And um, I'm going to sound a bit keen and extra non-cynical when I say this, but I sort of think we don't really think of Advertising Week as an event. It's more... We call it a platform, but I'd say it's more a kind of attitude or way of thinking. And it's all about where culture meets business and trying to understand business, but in the context of the culture it's in. Um, And that's what makes it really interesting to us, because I sort of think that's what makes the world go round.
1: I, I, I quite agree, and it, it's it's always been interesting to see the the agendas that are, that are put on at Advertising Week and the the, the kind of the mix of business um, leaders and celebrities and people who have different stories to tell who are all in their own rights, brands, and they've all promoted themselves, and they've all developed something. Yeah, okay, I'm with you. I'm absolutely with you. I, I love Advertising Week, by the way. This time in, in, in Europe, I've, I found it particularly interesting in that there were a load of themes in there that resonated with me. So for me, it felt like there was a lot of, a lot of conversation about retail uh, experience and retail media. Um, I particularly enjoyed a, a session where I was uh, listening to people talking about the cultural impact of the UK and the rest of the world. And there was a wonderful piece of research done by The Atlantic that was presented by Jemima Johnson, um, talking about great human needs. And th- those are the real things that stood out for me. What, what were your highlights for this year from Europe?
0: I think some of the highlights for me were conversations about things like diversity and inclusion moving from, let me tell you, you're not diverse as an industry to actually these are the things we need to do on a practical level to address it, which I think is the direction that issue needs to go in. There was a lot on sustainability. So we did a lot of work with um, the Advertising Association and the World Federation of Advertisers. They have Adnet Zero campaign and the Planet Pledge. Um, And that's something actually we're now taking to New York in October. And so trying to move that sustainability conversation again from the kind of esoteric and yes, we should all be more sustainable to something that actually how do you do that? You know, green workshops in terms of how do you make an ad more sustainable? And what we found is a lot of people in the industry still don't know or it's not one of the main considerations So those were two topics that really appealed to me and probably a big one um, that I was really interested in was the cost of living crisis and how that might impact brands, marketers, consumers. And we did a piece of research on that and it had some really interesting insights. One of them that I found particularly interesting was what people would keep buying or not keep buying. So. We'd done some similar research during the pandemic and people were like, oh, you know, I'm going to invest in things that I can use in my home, as you'd expect, like streaming platforms and so on. What you could see was really clearly where you're starting to see things like Netflix losing subscribers. You could see that from this research because people were saying, no, do you know the thing I'm not going to cancel is my holiday? I haven't been anywhere in three years. Yes, this is a big ticket purchase, but I'm keeping that one. Yeah. And you know what? All those subscriptions, they can just go.
1: can just disappear. So that's really interesting because normally in times of like downturn, people's um, self-indulgent things balloon, don't they? So they'll spend more time at home watching Netflix. They'll spend more money on cigarettes, alcohol, betting. Do you see that kind of thing happening? Or, or are people looking for more experiences now? And
0: Yeah, I think it's actually a reaction to the pandemic. I think people already did that in a way you know you already um spent more on your food and more and obviously i'm talking about people who have the disposable income to spend money at all because obviously there's a lot of people now who don't have any disposable income but for the people who do what they were saying to us is yeah do you know what i i missed out on this for three years and so that's the part i'm not cutting now and i think that's a real problem for some of particularly those subscription services, which maybe thought what we saw during the pandemic was going to continue forever.
1: Wow, that's really interesting to see, because there, there there are lots that have been planned for the last five or six years to be coming out around about now. I mean, we've had Peacock, we've got uh, various other things coming through from the US of, of subscription models. I wonder whether it will change.
0: Well, I think what you're starting to see now is a change in their business models as well, because, you know, Netflix famously it's working with Microsoft now to offer an ad supported service yep. that's going to launch next year. And what we've seen is lots of these services that very much promoted themselves on subscription only. It was almost I think it was almost looked down on slightly, you know, a couple of years ago in the press to have a subscription service that had an advertising element. Yep. Whereas now, actually, it looks like more and more of them are heading towards this kind of mixed model.
1: OK, so I, I get it, and I, I do see that happening, and it's been talked about for a long time, and certainly with Amazon, you know, IMDb TV has always yeah. had ads running in it. So I, I do see the, the, the things you know, developing like that. But I do wonder, then, that if the if the cost-of-living uh, crisis is going to impact people's bottom lines, then do we really need something else to send them advertising to potentially spend more money elsewhere? You to do?
0: I think it depends how you see advertising. For me, kind of advertising or marketing, it's there for everything. So you advertise if you're a government, you advertise if you're a charity, you advertise. It's not only about driving consumption. A lot of it is about driving consumption of new products, but it can also be about recycling, it can also be about eBay and the kind of secondary market. I think advertising in its own right is not a bad.
1: Oh, no, I I completely agree.
0: So I I sort of think, do we need more advertising? Well, I think it depends if it's useful to people. I think the best ads are the ones that people welcome because actually they were like, oh, that's really useful. I do actually need that.
1: Indeed. And then they respond to it and it looks good and they feel good and everybody's happy.
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey They can prescribe Fda-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. plus they accept most insurance plans to get started visit plushcare.com loss. that's plushcare.com weight loss
2: since 2013 Bombus has donated over 100 million socks underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness.
1: there's one media that I'm a little bit worried about at the minute which okay. is which is dig- digital out of home Um, So as the the cost of living crisis bites, we're also seeing an increase in energy costs. And and I worry for the the, the future at the minute, particularly of of that media. I can't really see how it would affect economically any of the other industries within media. But for digital out of home, I think there is a problem. Are you beginning to see that given the the organisation you lead? Are people talking to you about this kind of thing?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I think... Digital out of homes been mentioned, but I think everybody's worried across the board. And I would say it affects everybody, but in different ways. So for some companies, we're hearing a lot about supply chains, yep. about we talk a lot to the kind of e-commerce sector. And what we're seeing now is the whole, the whole attitude that e-commerce was built on, which is convenience, you can get this now. Now you can't get it mm. because energy issues, because supply chain issues, because shipping issues... All these things are really causing kind of major issues, you know, and in some cases, you know, some products literally can't be made because of the lack of energy. Um, And I think that's going to bite lots of industries, not just digital out of home.
1: Do you think we need to redress our our behaviour as consumers into the I want it now? Because we don't need everything now.
0: I think it's defini- I think it's definitely a good moment to have a rethink and you know there's there's been a movement to to this idea of slow consumerism that kind of you can enjoy getting things more but I think people are pretty savvy and there's some things you go I want this now and there's no benefit to me for it to be a really slow procedure it just feels not quite as good Yep and there's some things where actually you can make a real benefit of it and I think people can adapt so I think I think brands will have to be careful about how they tell that story.
1: Wow. Well, well, let, let's hope that everybody's getting it right because I, I, I think that we need to change that. We don't need everything now, and and I think when you when you look at how, how fortunate and lucky and privileged we are relative to the rest of the world, demanding, demanding unnecessary things right now, it feels kind of pretty poor behaviour to me. But...
0: Well, I think also there's lots of things that could improve. You know, I there's still so much unsustainable packaging. You know, I think almost everything I buy in the world of toiletries and cosmetics, and I've got to be honest, I think I'm single-handedly propping up the British beauty industry. I think to myself, this didn't need everything here. Mm. And and also, I don't really want it either. Yes. But nobody ever asks me. And it's given a feeling of luxury, whereas actually, often for me, the luxury is in something else. I thought one of, um, one of the interesting things, I had a... Um, a second hand uh, vintage Chanel jacket that I bought um in a second hand shop, I really loved it. I took it into the Chanel shop to see if they would repair it for me um, and I had an interesting conversation with them because they were telling me how they still don't sell anything online because they believe luxury is coming into the store mm-hmm. and I was thinking, this is so weird because to me this isn't like this isn't a luxurious way of doing things. This is loads of hassle, yep. You know, I'm a working person. I'm happy to bring my thing in here to be fixed and so on. But what I mean is this its just coming to a store is not a luxury experience in its own right, rather than being able to buy online. I was thinking, I think things like netporte, where you're able to get it and maybe more feel a nicer experience because I don't have to stand for two hours in a shop when I've got a job.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And so I also think, like, we need to re-examine across the board, like, what do we want out of life? So what is luxury or convenience today?
1: And and what it's worth as well, because what we... We, we also see, so I, we were talking to um, Larissa Roman from um, Boohoo Group uh, recently on this podcast, and one of the things that she was talking about was that you they, they provide now almost entirely a digital service, so all of the brands within Boohoo are, are online services, but what they find is that people order seven or eight variants of a thing and then send all of them back par one, which doesn't then gel with people wanting to be green people wanting to be supportive and people wanting the convenience of now they're just making it worse by sending everything back
0: yeah agreed and i think there's ways you can cut down on that so one thing i'd say about boohoo is obviously it's what i would call fast fashion and so it's priced at a level where you could quite easily buy seven things to send back there's lots of retail experiences where you just couldn't by seven yes because you couldn't take that risk with your with your money you just don't have that much in your bank account so i think that's a particular issue for kind of very high volume very low um low priced clothing but also there are ways you could make it better by sending out a kind of recyclable piece of packaging for people to send it back in yep. so that you gradually do begin to cut down on those things and i think we're not seeing that most things i receive are still in standard packaging often plastic packaging mm. and you feel like there isn't necessarily a huge kind of recognition that that could be improved
1: Well oh, that's crazy though but that, that's still we were talking about this for for years and you know there, there's a tick box on amazon that you can say you know combine all my orders and we still get loads of different oversized cardboard packages coming through
0: yeah absolutely and i think those are those are some of the things that I think will be interesting. And I mentioned before how um, we did um, at Advertising Week Europe, this initiative with the guys from the AA and WFA around sustainability. We're now taking that to the US because I think here in Europe, we're ahead of the US in terms of our understanding of kind of sustainability and recycling. So one of the things we wanted to do was the conversations we were having here were really interesting. And it's not just within our industry. We also spoke to the guys at um, BAFTA and Albert. I don't know if you know that. That's actually the initiative which is all about making um, production, uh, film and TV production, more sustainable. And they've made huge strides much further ahead than the advertising or marketing industry. And they challenged us a bit by saying, if we can do this for whole productions that last months, you guys can do it for your 30-second productions, right? Of course. So, but great challenge. So um, we're trying to learn from them. And what we're going to do um, next month in New York is I think it's the British Consul General. Hopefully she'll forgive me for mashing up her title there. Um, She's hosting a reception where we're bringing together lots of different kind of people in the US who can really help change things on the sustainability front. Um, and the AA and WFA are coming to be part of that and share their learnings from here with the um, US associations.
1: And will this be a, a requirement or a theme, or a, is, is this something that's going to be consistent across Advertising Week everywhere now?
0: I think sustainability is definitely a growing issue everywhere. This year was the first year in Europe that we had an outside audit. I believe it was with Isla, who did an outside audit of the event to check our sustainability And they gave us a report afterwards, which really helps us think about next year. Like, we had all vegetarian food. You know, what could we do next time to make it even better and more sustainable?
1: Wow. And are there any clues that you can give us that are going to be changing for Week Europe next year, or
0: still just under wait wraps, and see? Still okay, under understood.
1: Wraps. <laughs> Well, as I said, you know, I, I really enjoyed it, and I thought the themes that I saw there were great. So I'm looking forward to seeing it all next year. Um, it does feel to me a little bit, though, that again, I'm appreciating that sustainability is something that is a global issue. But generally, I, I'm beginning to feel that we are focusing much more on our own nation and moving away from globalisation in things. Are you seeing that at all? And does would that, I mean, if my opinion there is right, and I don't know whether or not it is, would that affect the way that a, a global brand and an organisation like yourselves has its uh, deployment in each of the territories that you're in? Are things different in each area?
0: For Advertising Week, I'd say, yeah, each of our markets has its own local kind of flavour, priorities, ideas, but there's a lot of it. Where there's big similarities too. I think generally... There's definitely been a reaction we can all see in the world of politics that there's been a reaction as the world has opened up. Everything's got more international. The Internet has taken down a lot of borders. I think you can see on a cultural and political level that there's been lots of closing up of borders again. And I think that openness also has the flip side where it causes a lot of people fear about losing their national identity or local identity. What I think we see in our local markets is actually still that international side is a real benefit. So, for example, um, you know, in Japan, they'll be really interested in both the local themes in the market, but they'll also really want the international speakers because they want to learn from each other. So I think there's still, at least we're seeing, still very kind of open-minded approach to it. And the companies that we work with, We have global partners who we work with all around the world and that's not changing. In fact, more of them are moving from being local partners in one region to global partners in more than one region. So I think that's not something we're seeing now. But I think everywhere should have its own local priorities as well because that's what makes it interesting.
1: Agreed. Um, agreed. But I, I, I just I just get the sense that we're focusing in on ourselves too much and that that's a political thing rather than, you know, the freedom of information moving across everywhere. It, it just feels that, particularly in the UK perhaps, that some of the, the decisions that we've made over the last six years um, have started to isolate us.
0: I think with my archaeologist hat on or historian hat on, I'd say that... Throughout history, you can see that things are cyclical. And I read a great book, which annoyingly, I can't remember the title of, um, but it was all about how human beings can never remember anything beyond their sort of grandparents' generation because it becomes just too much history and not enough personal kind of memory. Yep. So we sort of do forget, even though the whole point of history is we say, oh, we must never forget. We literally do. We do. do We're programmed to. (laughs) Yeah, and even, I think you can see differently. So my family are Jewish and were affected by the Holocaust. And as a child, for me, it was a big feature of family life. Mm. But now I see, you know, people of my children's age, they just don't have the same connection because it isn't within their life experience. They don't have relatives who are Mm. still alive talking about it. You know, you don't have your great uncle telling you, yeah, this was my mum who's dead now because she was killed in a camp. It's just become history in a way that I think it was more lived for me. And, you know, I think that that is a natural consequence of time passing. And there's different things now that for the next generation are their moments that they um, relate more to. But I think that cyclical nature keeps happening throughout history and it's partially because, you know, we we react to things. We grow more centrist than we react by moving out.
1: So if if and i i i i understand that and i agree with it but if things are cyclical then it kind of implies that at at all points we're on the rise in something so are, are you seeing a um a trends appearing Are people so i imagine that you get a lot of people pitching ideas and content and thoughts and you know future gazing um you know theories to you what what's exciting you at the minute what what what's uh what's new Um, Or or new, old, new.
0: New, old, new. Well, I think, look, there's lots of interesting stuff. So I think personally on the cyclical side, I think, yes, it's still cyclical because, um, you know, I think we've had moments in history where people have closed in more, they've opened up more. I think those things will keep happening. There'll be a reaction to everything. And I think one of my big insights as an adult has been that humans aren't really moving in the same direction. I think when I was younger, I used to think, we were sort of all moving to a more progressive space constantly. And I was like, oh, yeah, because people all want it to be better and better, that we grow richer and richer in our economies, that we're more and more... We want more and more people to have rights. We Everyone wants the same things, right? Mm. That everything gets better and better. And I think what you realise as an adult is people don't always want the same things. People have their own agenda. That's humans, mm. right? Um, I think on a work side... I think there's lots of interesting development, particularly in the kind of tech space. Um, I think there's lots of interesting development in AI. So one of the things I find really interesting at the moment is just how much the, um, I guess, the kind of deep faking has um, really emerged and become really quite hard to distinguish Mm -hmm. from um, reality. And I think this is going to be a really interesting Sort of cultural problem for us because I was watching a video a video this morning, um, which was something about aging celebrities. They all looked so real, and you know, you see this technology where you can um, automatically just AI generate yeah. face, and it looks like a real photo. And you can make people do things, you know, like the Tom Cruise deepfakes. And you think oh, it's already hard to tell yeah. reality from, you know, propaganda that's a re- going to be a really interesting problem. If I can take you, Adam, and make you do and say what I want, what what happens then?
1: I, I, I don't know. Um... I, and I actually, you know, I I don't know. It it, it is concern because w- w- one of the things that um that we need to address at some point is is the responsibility of the platforms to make sure that everything that they're delivering is true. And by platforms, I mean all media: it's TV, press, posters, Facebook, etc. Um, but how can they do that? how how can you do it and because how quickly does something that's fake actually become true in the minds of the world that if you can change somebody's look or the way that they're saying something and then distribute it to 500 people and they distribute it to 500 people that then gets recorded in the the public as being the genuine version of it and the real one becomes the apparent fake perhaps
0: yeah, I think I think wow. you know humans create these technology problems. Really it's not about the technology, it's about us and our behavior and what we want to do and I think you can never predict the ability of humans to think of being able to create something new or use something in a way you hadn't expected. But I definitely think I definitely think that aspect of AI is going to be very interesting. And I also think there's lots of aspects of AI and automation that don't really get talked about because they're not as kind of they're not as sexy so one of the things that i've always been really interested in is there's been huge progress in um how you write a subject line for an email and there's quite a few companies now that they have ai processes that focus on making your subject line for your email the best it could possibly be now that might sound like a tiny thing but um we had some research that shows that something like 90% of people choose whether to open your email or not based on what the subject line is. As you'd expect, if it's interesting, you open it. If it isn't, Mm. you don't. And you think to yourself, God, actually, those little changes could do something really profound for some businesses. As a small business... If you have access to a relatively cheap technology that helps you improve that and you don't have a big marketing team, you don't have a huge yeah. marketing budget, this could be something that makes you much more successful really quickly.
1: I completely agree. And and that's a really useful application of it. But I guess at the same time, there's a couple of things that are pinging off in my head right now. Firstly, that if you've got um if, if AI is being developed or developing to create deep deep fake, then I would assume that there's also the the, the opposite of that, that. AI has been developed to spot deep fake. Then maybe then there's something that will be in I don't know coming in a licensing content that's got verified authenticity or something coming through. But I'm, I'm also just a little bit intrigued on the um, at, at the same time. And I was listening, but I was also thinking about you know what is it that you're going to do to this podcast afterwards to me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We're going to put us through a deep faking engine. Oh, and my then God. <laughs> if I've said anything bad, I want it to be known this wasn't the real me.
1: Ah, and it's not the real me either. Or, this was or, definitely or the it? fake
0: me, potentially, well, maybe. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, OK, right, I'm absolutely baffled now. <laughs> <laughs> um, when we, um, we, we did a, a recording with uh, Russell Parsons recently, uh, and he was talking about um, the... The, the potential need for people to be understanding and meeting standards in in the industry and and you know, qualifications potentially. Do you do you, do you see that? Do you agree with that? Um, and do you see anything as something that you're attacking through like AW Learn?
0: Uh, yeah, I think Russell makes a really good point there about um, about the need for proper qualifications. And I think marketing. I've often talked to Russell about this about marketing being seen as a sort of discipline in its own right and often it's not seen as an academic discipline it's seen as something you kind of just learn on the job but I'd say we're almost coming at it from the other end which is lots of people are coming out of university out of marketing degrees without necessarily the skills or the practices to help them get a job or um, get promoted from their first job to their second job we have a lot of young people who, for example, will have done a whole degree on marketing, but will have never learned to run an email campaign. So one of the things we're trying to do with AW Learn is bridge that gap between when you come out of university and that progression into actually being able to use that in a job. And the way we're doing it is by um, helping you learn from the people who are already doing the job. So um, some of the courses we've done with Raj Rajmanar, who's the CMO of MasterCard, or um, Fernando Machado, he was the CMO of Burger King, now Activision Blizzard, is really about kind of trying to help elevate you quicker by stealing their tips. You might not have Burger King's budget, but can you steal some of the things Fernando knows to help you upskill quicker? Definitely. Great. And if you can do it and you're based in the Philippines or you're based in In Tokyo, how often are you going to get the opportunity to meet someone like Fernando? Maybe not that often, but through doing it online, you can actually get some of his learnings that can help you kind of boost your career. So I think we're coming at it more from that end of building from the bottom up.
1: OK, and so, so to Russell's thing was, was learning, and, and I completely get that, and, and I love that you're doing that. Would you be, would Advertising we be able to introduce the the requirement for sustainability into the industry, do you think?
0: Potentially. I think we see our role more as a great connector, In general, So I think we don't necessarily say Advertising Week is the stamp. It could be. I don't know. But I feel like it's something where what we want to do is get all the people who can make the stamp that is a requirement, including people from government, you know, the US Consul, working um, with people over here in the government, trying to bring them together and make that happen. And I think we see our role as a great connector of people. But equally... We want to know what we're good at as opposed to what we're not necessarily good at. And I think what we're great at is knowing the people, seeing the opportunities and connecting them so they can make it happen.
1: And bringing everyone together to discuss it.
0: Exactly. Wow.
1: So which is next? on your? You you mentioned before we got on here you've got got New York in a couple of weeks' time. And then where else are you rolling out to?
0: So we have um, Advertising Week New York. We then have um, about two weeks later in November we have Advertising Week LATAM. Um, And they're great. Um, I think, like you said earlier, every local market has its own character. So New York, it's the original. It's the kind of biggest of all the different um, advertising weeks we do. Has the greatest amount of variety and kind of theatre around it. So that's great. Then um, LATAM, I think, is such a fast growing market for us. Um, I don't know how much you know, but the Latin American kind of commitment, particularly e-commerce... You know, it's one of the regions where they have big competitors to Amazon, like Mercado Libre. Um, And so they're so interested in marketing, they're so interested in learning and kind of, they're so interested in media and supercharging that. So it's always a really dynamic market. And as a result, actually, I'd say our advertising week LATAM has much more of a consumer feel, like some of the brands who come to work with us are like Heineken or Unilever. And it's Very like a business festival, I'd say, that is like, let's all get together and learn and meet. Um, So really excited about that one. It's always a great one. And then um, back in 2023, we'll start um, rolling out. So we'll have Advertising Week Asia, Advertising Week Europe again, um, Advertising Week APAC, which is based in Sydney. Um, And then um, we've long been talking about launching AW Africa, um, that 's been on the horizon since before the pandemic I believe we were i believe we were um, held up from launching latam originally by some earthquakes so okay. it took it took a pandemic to stop aw africa but we 'd really like to see that get back on the calendar so stay tuned for news
1: I will, we will indeed stay tuned for news but they, those are lots of different time zones and it 's going to be a lot of work and it 's going to be Intense and busy how do you balance how do you how do you get the work life balance set oh
0: I have no work life balance okay. I'm terrible at it I like to do everything all the time <laughs> you know when they're like oh you can't have it all and I'm like well I don't know you can have a bit of it some of the time um, and I think I'm not very good at work life balance because my personality is I get super into things so when I'm super into work I want to be into mm. that but I also want to have a life as well yeah so I think for me I don't I actually really like flexible working as in I quite like the fact that you can talk to people in lots of different time yeah. zones that actually is part of the joy of the job apart from anything else um but I think you do have to look after yourself because it can be draining as well especially if it's long hours different time zones so I think you have to take a moment to go okay do you know what I've done? As good as I can possibly do this week, let me just have a moment. Yep. I'm a big believer in actually, you know, trying to have those moments where you completely switch off. And can,
1: can you actually do that? No, I'm terrible. No, right? so you switch as, off as one stated. thing and your brain fills up with something else, and
0: yeah, totally. I was that person. I realised I had a problem. I think years ago when I was on maternity leave, I remember it in my head as a really sort of relaxing time where all I did was bond with my baby. But now I look back, it appears that I wrote a book. I did a monthly column. You know, I could have been running all the local kind of playgroups by the time if I hadn't held myself <laughs> back. And I was like, oh, my God, what is wrong with me? But I also think that that's my character. I'm just super nosy, super curious. I love to find out about things. So do I want a work-life balance? I just really want an interesting life.
1: Which is a brilliant answer, I'd say. Yeah, and you, you will make that happen.
0: Yeah, and it, some of it will be work and some of it will, it will be, be yeah. life. Yeah, But I think it should all be an interesting life. And I think if I felt like my work wasn't part of... Where we talk about the work-life balance, I think it's interesting because it's almost like work isn't life.
1: Yes, I agree. Yeah, it, it's separating the two things, which for me they do blur in massively.
0: Yeah, right? and and that's part of what I like about it. So I think, yeah, I want an interesting life. I want it to excite me and keep me interested. My um, my grandma was 85 and still working and I lived with her for a bit in my 20s and we argued constantly about who would use the bathroom first in the morning um, because we both believed we were the busier person. And one of the things I learnt from her is she was never old because she was just so interested in everything. There was never a topic where she would go, oh, this was better in my day. There was something she'd think like, oh, I feel like wasn't this better when it was like this but generally she was so interested in the world as it was now and i think to me that was a big lesson in why was she never old because she never stopped being interested
1: well there's a soundbite <laughs> <laughs> we'll have that um you you mentioned um maternity leave there so there, there, there's a question that i asked and spoke to claire ferrier about uh recently Uh, which I'll pose to you as well, that is, is advertising, is media, is marketing an industry that you would want your kids to come into?
0: Yeah, I think like every industry, there's things that I would want to improve before they got here and I would hope they would improve if they did get here. Like, you know, I think there's still issues with sexism, there's still issues with lack of equality across the board, really. And I think that's true of every industry, not just this one. But in general... I think the mix of culture, business and the, the exposure to everything. So from you can be talking to a government minister, they need to do advertising and marketing, charity, big corporate company. It's, it's so interesting. Mm. And I so I think if my children were interested in this, yes, because it's not one thing, you can have a completely different experience yeah. in any corner of this industry.
1: I, I agree as well. And, and and I would like mine to, well, actually, they'll make their own decision. But if they wanted to, I would support it fully if they wanted to get in, in the industry, because it changes all the time. And as I think you said at the very beginning about bringing business and culture together, cultures shift. And opinions change and things that are interesting to our generation won't be interesting to their generation. So it will be completely different. So, yeah, come on, let's do it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'd hope if they did come, they would be part of a generation bringing something new anyway. So it wouldn't really be the industry that you and I knew now. I think even talking to kind of younger colleagues who are in their 20s, their experience is so different than mine was in my 20s. It's always changing and that's what we want, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what we're supposed to do, I think. Change the world. Make it better.
0: Change the world. Make it better. And you can't, I think... Just stay interested and stay open-minded and keep learning. That, to me, is the most interesting thing you can do with your life. So I'd be happy if my kids were doing anything where they said, yeah, I'm still interested. Mm. You know, I think the worst the worst thing for me would be doing something with your life where you thought there's nothing to learn here.
1: I agree. I agree. I love it. I still love it.
0: Me too. Thankfully. Yeah, I, I love it. And that's why I said in my slightly evangelical way, that presumably my colleagues will laugh at me for afterwards when they hear this podcast is it it is about life. It's about an attitude. And to me, one of the one of the reasons I joined Advertising Week, you mentioned I I stayed with my previous company for around 15 years in different jobs. And one of the things that um, one of the reasons that I stayed so long was actually it was never the same job. Every time I got bored of a yep. job, they challenged me and gave me something new to do that kept me interested and busy. So it really was never the same job. And when I ran out of jobs that excited me, I was lucky that Advertising Week approached me about this um, this role. And the reason I really wanted to join was because Lance and Matt, who are the two founders of Advertising Week, they didn't appear to have heard of kind of the standard boundaries in business that other people did. They were... They were those people who were like, well, of course we could bring together people with the, you know, government people and industry people and have a conversation. Why not? Who's going to stop us? And you're like, well, I guess, yeah, I guess that's true. And they'd be like, why don't, you know, let's go and launch in this area. And you'd go, what, but can we? And they'd go, of course you can. They just don't know the word can't. And I find Mm. that so exciting. Even though they tell me that sometimes sometimes we all go, Oh, is this the right move or not? And obviously you have to make business decisions based on that and what's sensible. But their their lack of kind of knowing where to that you even could stop. I think that's so exciting.
1: I agree. And you've got a beaming smile on your face as you're saying it. It's brilliant.
0: Well it makes me it makes me laugh because my previous CEO said to me, um, and if she's listening I hope she'll forgive me for this but she said oh you're such a creative person you just like to work with creative types who are just like you and I think the biggest compliment I could give to um, Matt Schechner who's one of the founders of Advertising Week is that sometimes I feel like I'm kind of holding him back and going no that's too crazy we can't do it and then I go to him who am I? (laughs) I was the crazy one. Hold on. (laughs) But I think that's part of the magic. And I think working with people also who the sky's the limit and they don't know that there's a kind of boundary to what you could do, I think is so invigorating that that's one of the reasons it keeps me interested on a day-to-day basis.
1: Fantastic. And I'm, I'm glad you are. And I'm glad you're here to tell us about it. Would you impart a piece of advice to anybody thinking about getting into the industry now?
0: I think probably my only really useful piece of advice was when I went on maternity leave. Um, I was very anxious about it. As I mentioned, I accidentally wrote a book and did a monthly column and did lots of things that weren't actually taking leave on reflection. But I was very worried about coming back. I was such a workaholic. Um, And what I realised is that actually we spend so much time being insecure that we don't reinforce what other people already think about us. And actually we're not very good at marketing ourselves. And even though I don't Mm. particularly like the phrase of like brand me or this sort of thing, I do think there's something to it in the sense that when I went on maternity leave, I, um, very worried, came back. And when I came back, I thought, oh, do you know what? We're doing all these things that are going wrong. We could do this much better. But I knew the job quite intimately at the same time. So I wasn't making those observations with no knowledge of how it worked. And I think it's the only time in life where you can step back from a job, have intimate knowledge of how it works, but have the space to see things differently. So I said to my boss, oh, you know, I think I'm so glad to be back because I think I can be really valuable here because actually I still know the job intimately, but I can see all the places we're going wrong. That distance has made me even better and he repeated that to his boss. Everybody repeated it. And then I got promoted. And when I got promoted, they said, you know, you coming back from maternity leave was the best thing you take in maternity leave because you had the distance to come yeah. back. Mm. You knew the job really well, but you um, were able to identify new areas. You know, it was so valuable to us. And I thought, oh my God, that was the thing. And I don't know if I felt it when I said it. I just hoped it would sort mm. of be true. And I think that was one of my big lessons because I then got promoted twice in quick succession after maternity leaves where people were like, God, this has made you even better. Yeah. And I think there's an insecure side of me that would have been like, oh, no, I'm missing out. I'm, I'm not going to be any good anymore. But instead, I thought, no, this is I'm going to make this into something that matters and is a positive force. And I'm going to tell people all the time that's what it is. And people want to hear that.
1: They do. And and it resonates with what you said earlier about always being curious and interested in what you're doing. And because you are, that's what's going through your head and brilliant. I mean,
0: And bringing that back, actually, to people coming into the industry now, um, a woman I recently hired, and a man has never asked this, actually, when I've hired him, but a woman asked me, um, is there any reason why I wouldn't be right for this job or you wouldn't give me this job as one of her questions? And I was like, hmm, I think you've kind of asked it the wrong way round, which is I... I was like, everybody I've seen has had the requisite skills. I'm not, it's not about you at all. It would be about the person that I thought had the best fit for this particular role and what was needed. And I was like, it's interesting that she sort of presented it as what's lacking in me mm-hmm. that would mean you didn't hire me for this job. Yep. And I was saying to her, don't ask it like that because actually as the employer, I'm not even thinking like that I'm thinking who would be the best person all these people are great with skills who's the best fit for this precise job it doesn't mean you're not a good fit for all jobs or you're not a good fit for another job I might have and I think one of the pieces of advice I give people is don't don't keep thinking you're the problem it's all so much less personal than you feel in the world of work
1: Wow. We'll take that. We'll take that. And, you know, I, d- that that means quite a lot to me, actually, because when I, when I set up myself, I felt that everything was personal. I really did. You know, you go out into the world and it's just you and you take everything personally, but you learn pretty quickly that it isn't. But it's lovely to hear that.
0: Definitely. And I try to think... One of the things I learnt, actually, from counselling is to think about people's intention. And I find that useful not just in life in general, but also in work quite a lot where you think about if you're feeling annoyed, it happens to everybody. You feel, this person's undermined me or done this. I try really hard to go, okay, what was their intention? And if I think their intention was to undermine me, well, I'm going to have a problem with Mm. it. But if I think, they weren't even thinking about me. They were just, they were really excited by X or Y and off on it. They did was this any sort of personal slight on me or did it not even enter their mind and if it didn't I think I'm going to handle this in a different way because what I felt about it wasn't what they intended me to feel
1: I am absolutely going to take that on board and put that into action for me because I get annoyed and irritated really quickly
0: I think it's one of the ways that I've managed to I think because I'm quite sort of I feel quite a lot of stuff. I'm quite an emotional person and people I work with tell me I'm very calm, but I think that's because I've learned skills to go, okay, evaluate what was the actual meaning of this. And if your meaning was to, you know, do something that upset me, then that is a problem. Yeah. But if it wasn't, I can probably handle this in a more constructive way because you have no idea that that's how I feel about it. Yep. And then that can actually be the start of a good conversation where I say to you, Adam, actually, do you know that kind of made me feel a little bit rubbish when you did this? Did you mean that? And you go, no, what are you talking about?
1: (laughs) I'm not saying anything now because I I, I suspect that that might be the thing that you cut out and uh, do put into the AI machine.
0: Never. Well, I'd be really interested if there's the AI out there that can make me all more reasonable and a less emotional person. I'm here for it. Bring it on.
1: I, I, I have so enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you so much for taking time to come in. It's been an absolute pleasure.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much. I think we've got to cover so many we great have. topics.
1: Do you know, I, I, I could carry on talking to you forever, I think, but um, it's, uh, I can't steal all of your day.
0: No, and at some point, you know, they'd have to they would actually have to deep fake us because we have (laughs) bodily functions and we'd need to leave.
1: (laughs) Thanks so much though, Adam. No, absolute pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to Let's
2: Do the Right Thing in association with Radio Works, the UK's largest independent radio advertising agency. Let's Do the Right Thing is a Maple Street creative production, devised and presented by Adam Hopkinson.